0: Father Joe Macdonald is an Irish priest based in Dublin and is a familiar voice in Irish media. In 2017, he wrote a book on why the Irish church deserves to die. A review of that book said, In his reflection on a church that he has experienced as abusive, dysfunctional and capable of extraordinary betrayal, his sadness and at times anger is juxtaposed with his experience of a church that he loves and continues to give his life to with a passion characterised by joy and hope. Welcome to the Confession Box, Father Joe. So is that a pretty good summation of your views? So yeah, thanks,
1: appreciate uh, being invited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's a good summation. Uh, it, it just strikes me as I'm hearing it that it's, um, I, I would feel today, it's probably a little bit understated. I mean, the death, if you like, that we refer to has got worse um, and the dysfunctionality has got worse. So I suppose there's a, um, a greater urgency or intensity
2: um, even just these few years on. Joe, uh, we hadn't planned to talk about Sinead O'Connor today, but of course, you know, the news uh, last night that she died and may she rest in peace. Um, Sinead O'Connor, lots of lots been said about her, but she really did get the abuse scandal in the Catholic Church right, didn't she? Oh, she did. Uh, I mean, she got so many things. Uh, so
1: it's funny in a way to use a word like prophetic about her, but but I think it's a good use of the word uh, and and all that that entails. Because it, uh, if we use prophetic in its in its correct context, we we imply courage, we imply taking risk, we imply going beyond the 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 sort of acceptable voice of the day, and we also imply uh, a truth and. Uh, that's the reality i mean it's a huge loss obviously the, the the personal loss to her family and you know the the sympathy we would feel for them but it's it's a much wider loss and it just struck me this morning that years ago i taught english literature and used to teach uh, shakespearean tragedy the definition of tragedy according to shakespeare is, is waste and you just feel that you know she's gone far too early and um her contribution I suppose centrally in terms of her music, uh, but also her particular courageous stance and so many things uh, is going to be, I think, much missed.
2: I was watching a clip of her on Newsnight um, some some uh, ten years ago, actually, and uh, she was on with Austin Ivory, the, the now papal biographer, but he was a, a spokesman at the time, uh, um, and she was making the point over and over again that how come nobody was disciplined in the Catholic Church for, for not going to the police? She couldn't understand how bishops, uh, archbishops around the world, you know, the, the, you know, they eventually did discipline priests and priests were eventually kicked out maybe of, of the priesthood. But she couldn't understand how the people who didn't report to, to, to the police, how they weren't disciplined by the church. She just couldn't understand that.
1: Yeah, you see, I think that was part of, of the value of of her speaking the way she did in one way. And, and I agree that that she didn't understand. But I suppose a different way of putting that was she wasn't in any way. Um, what would you say? Um, smothered by the bureaucracy and the, and all the stuff that we, you know, particularly us as, as as clerics and the language that we use and and the things that we have always accepted almost as part of the deal she didn't have that and and i think the freshness of that now it didn't suit us of course i mean this is the other thing you know and, and i i think the fact that she was a woman and uh, you know comparatively young woman and not part of the institution that was another reason why we sort of said asha that's just sinead sinead is is going off on a sort of a rant the reality was, she was she was speaking a truth and a, a dark truth that
2: that we continue um, to really grapple with. She said that the rot went to the top. You know, she was she didn't like the fact that Pope Benedict wrote a strong letter to, and blamed the Irish bishops. And at the time, I remember we were thinking, well, good on the Pope, like he slammed the Irish bishops, mm-hmm. you know, we were saying. And yet she was saying, well, hang on a second. This is the Vatican removing itself from all blame, you know. And she said, where did the need for secrecy come from? It came from, the, it was the Vatican saying that, you know, these things were to be done in secret. And uh, and then other people were saying, well, there was a reason for that to protect the victims and all this kind of thing. But... You know, it's interesting that she, she she paid a heavy price for that. I remember she ripped up the the Pope's picture, Pope John Paul II, uh, live on TV uh, and paid a heavy price commercially for that. But she she really was highlighting something that maybe, as you say, like we people who are around the institution, maybe we were just like, oh, there's Sinead off, gone off again. But she was she was appalled at it, really, maybe more appalled than a lot of people in the Catholic Church were
1: yeah and you see it's interesting what you're saying and her 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 correct contention in my view that that this problem goes all the way to the top you see i I think when we when we go down the road of specifically talking about victims, we go down the road specifically talking about a particular for example a particular religious order or a particular institution. And we need to do that. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But, but the reality is this is a much wider endemic problem. And it's fundamentally connected with not, not only uh, clerical celibacy, but it's also connected with the church's, um, I would consider, dysfunctional position on sexuality. I mean, the church has taught beautiful things about sexuality and there are certainly aspects of John Paul II, interest in the Pope that she did tear up, whole theology of the body and all that. There's Nobody would deny that. And and I think, unfortunately, we're not good at talking about the joy of celibacy. You know, we tend to present it in terms of our share in the cross type of thing and, uh, and our uh, witness with Christ. It's Rare enough, I think, that we talk in any degree about the joy it brings, the freedom it brings, the, um, you know, when it's lived well, whatever that means, and I, I'm not sure that any of us could claim to be living it well, so it's a struggle. But in actual fact, she was right that, that it, it's not just about sexual abuse. It's wider than that. It's an issue of celibacy, but it's also a much wider issue of the Catholic
2: Church's position on all sorts of aspects of sexuality. Uh, I think another element of her uh, of Sinead as well is, and um, maybe has, it hasn't been talked about that much today, but but she was a spiritual seeker. Like, she, you know, she went off and became a priest uh, and then she said she reverted back to uh, to Islam. But like she, she was, wasn't a person, you know, one of the concerns today is that people are just apathetic to faith and religion and all that. Uh, she was far from that. She was like she was really interested. Um, do you think she, she, she could have been a good priest in the Catholic Church? You see, the thing about Sinead, I,
1: I think her, and, and I, you know, I'm no authority on her, but I would be very, um, I was listening to a comment that I think it was Phil Coulter made last night. And he asked an uncomfortable question in, in all the, the debating back and forward. And in the middle of it all, he said, I suppose a hard question is, did Sinead ever find peace? And, you know, ultimately, um, you know, even today, we're talking about may she rest in peace and uh, eternal rest and and so on. And that quest for peace, um, you know, it it goes without saying, not not in the sense of the absence of war, but that deep place of self-acceptance, the deep place where we we know and trust that we're loved and that we're loved unconditionally. Did she get there? I don't know. I, I hope that there was aspects. They say that her happiest times was actually singing, that she just couldn't, despite a couple of times saying, that's me done, I'm out of here, and, you know, short-lived retirements and stuff like that. And I think she couldn't resist the pull of... And I'm not sure for her, artists say I there's an adrenaline, you know, Christy Moore talks about the encore, and um I think in the song he says, I go home feeling like a king. Um, I don't know without, Sinead, I think there was a place she went to that was almost that that um internal sort of deep spot in the labyrinth of human emotion where she was herself
0: well, the Joe, of course you work with youth in your ministry. And I suppose you know how crucial they are for for fate to survive. So fittingly, as as part of Pope Francis's agenda for World Youth Day next week, he will meet with survivors of clerical sexual abuse and listen to their own personal accounts and present concerns within the church. We have evidence now, formal evidence, that the Pope is prioritising survivors and their stories, such as the time allocated for uh, survivors during the papal visit in Ireland in 2018, but what must the Vatican do to ensure that the points raised during these meetings translate to actual and tangible institutional reform? I think you've put your finger on that. On, for me, it's the most pressing
1: problem. It goes back to some of the stuff discussed in the book a few years ago. Um, it, goes, it, it comes into the whole broader concept of the synod. My concern is that that um, Pope Francis, whom I love, is, you know, I think he's a, he's a wonderful uh, leader, but I think the whole synodal process has given great hope. It has given great expectation. But I know people, and they're committed, they're committed Catholics, have been all through the years with the dips and turns. And they have talked about it. This is the last chance. Now, I'm not sure what that means, but it's almost that they're saying, oh, you've given us great hope for renewal and for reform. Please don't let us down. Mm-hmm. And just that, almost that image of us being led up to the top of the hill. Now, that, and and, and I don't want that to sound cynical because I, I have always remained hopeful. The World Youth Day thing, you know, I, I would be supportive of it and so on. But again, um. I have met people who have gone on World Youth Day not only once, but several times, and they get a lot out of it. Yeah. But but I'm not sure that it has proved to be a great uh, source of renewal. It certainly hasn't led to to any increase in priestly vocations in Ireland. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the measure of, of health. The reality is, however, you know, if we continue not to have priests, then no priest, no Eucharist. So 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 you know so now the specifics of what he's doing yeah I, I I value it I think and so on but again, in in all these meetings the question is what happens afterwards, yeah. and uh, I I think that's one of our problems as an institution and when I use a word like dysfunctional you know people think I'm being harsh or mm-hmm. being cruel I simply mean the sheer size of it you know francis's voice within the 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 hierarchy within the the vatican and so on you know i i think part of the reason why he continues to go is that he does have an agenda i would believe an agenda led by the holy spirit um and i and i think that he's fired by the, by that but i think unfortunately the whole organization to me is almost like an albatross
2: that <laughs> flapping its wings in mud and, and getting heavier what, what That's your take at the moment is it uh, like you know people would have maybe accused you of being quite negative in the past around all this but it, it is hard to see hope. Like the Dublin Diocese has this, uh, you know, the he uses the word hope the uh, plan, and yeah. all. And I, I know that the Archbishop is, you know, he's doing his best, but basically they're winding down a, an institution that's not fit for purpose. Um, where Where is the hope? Is there any hope? Or should we just all just head up to Calvary and <laughs> wait <laughs> Pat- for the resurrection, Pat- the, resurrection to to the pack
1: seats, yeah. when You see, people have said that to me in the past. God, you're so negative. Why don't you get out? You know, like, what? what? <laughs> you're... I I regret coming across as negative. It it was never the intention, you know, and and I do think cynicism which I'm sure I am guilty of at times, that I think it's a real enemy uh, of, of the soul. I mean, I think cynicism is a horrible thing, and, and I think as we get older as well, to try to resist being cynical, try to resist saying, oh, I've seen it all before, and so on. My hope is very specific. I mean, it, it's Christocentric. It's rooted in what I would consider the need for a rediscovery of the person of Jesus of Nazareth, which excites me, which I think is, and any time I take time to talk to people about it, and I try to do more and more of it. We had a day recently when that was the whole thrust. Uh, There was 50 of us on it. But the whole thrust was the the unique personal relationship with Jesus, which people really don't believe is possible. You hear people dismissing it and say, oh, what are you talking about? He died 2,000 years ago and so on. I say, no, well, that was the historical Jesus, which I include in this. But the historical, the cosmic, the, the, you know, the, the second Christ, person mm-hmm. of the Trinity, that crystal sense. That's my hope. And, and I think what will emerge is small. Very small, but I hope in in the in the Christ language of yeast and and mustard seed, I would be saying chili powder, you know, whatever it is, the the modern alternative of a speck, a, a sprinkle of mustard. But I would think we will have small Christocentric communities, which I believe will carry it through to to another phase. But I I, I would not be hopeful of the institution being capable i'm not i'm not taking away the the bona fides. like our own archbishop i think has wonderful qualities I, I i think he has great qualities but he has even in the short time that he's become archbishop i whilst i see him doing I, totally doing his best and doing wonderful stuff but he's already come weighed down by that massive job of of shutting up shop in so many different places and uh, i mean who would take it as a most horrible position to
2: be in yeah i've 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 met a couple of uh, provincial religious orders recently and god love them they were just you know they were you know they were dealing with abuse cases you know from from years ago and stuff and and they were dealing very well and very justly with with the victims and all but they personally were just overwhelmed by the whole thing they just couldn't you know and there's there's, there's that and then there's the wind down of an institution and all, like there's, there's really no time to even engage with the outside culture and this Pope Francis and the Synod is all about missionary and you think you kind of think well where's the missionary impetus coming from because everyone's inside just barely trying to keep that organised yeah organized. Like,
1: like a microcosm of that would be like I've often you know sat on a, on a Saturday or Sunday evening I'm looking at the week ahead and I've all sorts of plans and and some of them you know hopefully would be a little bit of innovation <laughs> or, or freshness in it and suddenly you have five funerals and the week is utterly changed. And, you know, no matter who we are, no matter how strong we are, the, the constant, I, I mean, I have a friend who who she, she was for, for a period there on her, on her provincial leadership team. And I could see the change in her as a personality, you know, over even the first 18 months, because the whole thing is about closure, letting go, death, retirement homes, Cost of looking after elderly sisters. If you're dealing with that all the time, and I mean, it was always part of the deal, but beside that in the past, yeah. you had novices and postulants and an novitiate and a formation programme. Take all that invigorating, life-inspiring stuff out and you're left with... You know, and I often think of the the, the hymn at at um, at night prayer. You know, change and decay, and all around I see. oh thou who changes, not abide with me. Like you really need to be clinging on to something in in the crumbling edifice. You know.
2: Well, uh, you are cl- clinging on to something. I know you have a, a best little friend, uh, your doggy. I was very interested. Uh, at the, to, you called. He's a bull mastiff, and he's name Dutch. And you named him after Ronald Reagan. Can you explain that? <laughs>
0: The secrets out now. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 Took it on now, a lot of Googling yeah. to find now, that out.
1: Now I know why this is called the confessional.
0: This is, this is the most anticipated <laughs> response, you know, that it's <laughs> the, the most con- highly anticipated. <laughs> yeah.
1: response. confession box. Yeah. 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 Um, The only word we have to correct is little. He is far from little. He's like a donkey. And and I tell people in Selbridge the one thing they forgot to send with him was the saddle, you know. Um, Oh, I love him dearly. Sadly, um, he has recently been diagnosed with with, um, a thing called uh, primary orthostatic tremors. It's the canine equivalent of Parkinson's. And unfortunately, it's advancing quite fast. But he's a most lovable dog. I've had dogs all my life. uh, Usually German Shepherds, Labs and Boxers. But uh, Dutch, named after Ronald Reagan. I had a few heroes as I grew up. Um some controversial, you know, I was taken by the poetry of Bobby Sands when I was 15 or 16. I was drawn towards uh, Che Guevara and I got arrested once, not for Republican movements, I hasten to add. (laughs) People hear this accent say, now we know the truth. But I was arrested because I went in and sabotaged the Del Monte products in Dunn's stores Mm -hmm. as part of an anti-apartheid thing. So so I was very taken by Mandela and one of the best books I read. In including Brian Keenan's evil cradling, uh, but what Mandela's long walk to freedom. Reagan, um, probably people, and I have to be very, very careful when I'm in the States because if I mention his name, some people would refer to him, they'd nearly canonize him, and others say, do you know what he did with this country? Have you any clue about Reaganomics? I know all about Reaganomics. I know he made mistakes. He was the best communicator, and unlike what Spit and Image suggests, most of it was unrehearsed mm. and extremely witty. And, you know, I could talk for another half hour about about uh, Reagan, but I would say becoming president in 70 and uh, at the end of the second term, had he been able, he would have had a landslide uh, victory to keep going Um and uh, one of my great heroes, but my is my hero primarily, you know. when people talk about the Iran Contra and Reagan. I was, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about the man, the communicator, and and the the lovely mix of humour and challenge, which I
0: try to use um, uh,
1: quite often when I'm when I'm when I'm speaking. So you
0: mentioned spitting image there. You believe that the president does in fact have a brain. <laughs> Absolutely, I am, and I'm, I'm disgusted that you'd be saying such a thing. No, no,
1: absolutely, oh, no. I, I know. I know I think he was much maligned for comedy and that, yeah. but if you look at the speeches that he was given and look at the live version, you know, the heckler who came in, the, the explosion that happened here, and he just simply stopped and looked and says, missed me. You know, like he, he had, that was the actor in him, and some say, well, he never stopped acting, but that's true of all actors,
2: you're a bit of an actor yourself, uh, Joe. I, eh? I deny it completely. <laughs> Joe McDonald, thanks a million for coming in. Thank, you, all, thank you.
1: Thank you me. very much.